All right, y'all, uh, just as we look at Revelation chapter 1, I do want to mention this to you, that uh, I do believe that as a church, this is kind of our next step, what God has for us next in store for ministry. Uh, Randy and I joke around a lot of times about, man, how great it would it would be to have the Fred's building or to for, for God to, to give us a piece of land for us to be able to build because we are getting to a point in a lot of our ministries where we're running out of space. And so a lot of times I, I, I do kind of pray and say, God, what is it that you have for us over the next couple of years? And in five years, if we're just busting at the seams, what are we, what are we going to do? What are you going to provide for us? And a lot of times it's, it's real easy for us to dream about a bigger building or to expand. But you know, maybe what it is that God has in store for us may not be to double the size of our building, but maybe it's to double our ministry, to double our outreach in our own community. And I encourage you to do this, to look at where you live. And God has given you a mission field right where you are, right in your own neighborhood. Probably, if I asked you, are you aware of any of the needs in your neighborhood? You probably are aware of some of the struggles, the difficulties of people that are in your own neighborhood. And to me, the neat thing about it is, is that's our opportunity as a church to begin reaching out to our neighbors. You know, if you haven't uh, been with us for a number of years. Our church started December 17th of 2006. So we've been here four and a half years. And to me, the incredible thing is where God has brought us. I mean, it, it you know, the, it is so cool because as I look at all of you right now, I see where God has taken you, how God has matured you. Randy and I spent a lot of time praying for you guys and praying that God would mature you in your faith and get you involved in ministry. And God is doing that. And as, as pastors, we can be confident that as a family comes into Christ Church Arlington, we can be very confident that we have the ability to minister to them. And, and that's not because of us, to be honest with you, that's because of you guys, because so many of y'all have stepped up and are serving and are working like crazy for the glory of God. And God is using that to where if somebody does come in here, we can minister to them. And so God has blessed us tremendously in our kids' ministry, in our, our student ministry, in uh, so many different, in the worship ministry. I mean, I came up here last night at about 7.30. There was a family up here putting every single one of these chairs down on the floor. The entire family was here. And I'm thinking, man, how awesome that is that we've got a church family that works so hard just to provide everything that we need to be able to minister right here at 11900 Highway 70. But let me ask you this, what about out there? If people want to know, if people want to see the impact that Christ Church Arlington is making, do they have to come here to this address? Or can they see it everywhere in Arlington? And that's the goal in these neighborhood groups is, is not necessarily what we're doing here, but let's take the next step and let's take this into our neighborhoods. And let's let the community see the impact that God can use us for in our own neighborhoods. And so I encourage you to pray about that. Just, just, you know, a lot of times we look at missionaries as those people that we are sending to a foreign land. But the reality is, is God has made each and every one of us a missionary in our own neighborhood. And, you know, God put this on my heart about a year ago, mostly because I kind of got embarrassed a couple of times. I was at a park one day, and this lady said, Hey, John, how you doing? And I turned around, and I'm like, and I'm thinking, I know I recognize her, but I can't remember her name, and I don't know where I know this woman from. And she said, I'm your neighbor two doors down. I'm thinking, oh, gosh, Lord, I got to do something different. I got I to get to start knowing my neighbors around here. And God really put it on my heart. That's what all of us need to do. And probably some of you are already doing that. You're probably busy doing that. But we have 
And certainly you've heard Randy and I preach on this about being uh, reaching out wherever you are to, with the love of Christ, but we've never really mobilized our forces. We've never really mobilized our entire church congregation and said, hey, show up at one of these homes and we're going to be praying for your neighborhood, regardless of where you live. Whether or not you live in Arlington, it doesn't matter. You may be, you may look on that map, on that card and say, I don't live here. I don't live in any of these colored squares. Whether you live in Fayette County, Tipton County, Shelby County, it doesn't matter. Show up on one of, at one of those homes on the 18th. And that's the whole goal is to pray for our neighbors. It's as simple as that. You know, Kim and I have lived in Arlington. I am going to get to Revelation in a minute. Okay. So trust me. I am going to get there. Kim and I have lived in Arlington for about two and a half years. And, uh, but where we lived before in Bartlett, we lived there for, I think, 13 years. I guess I'm getting old, I think, is what's going on here. But uh, we, over the years, we really got to know some of our neighbors at, at, in Bartlett really well. And a lot, of, a lot of this for us and for you, it may be just getting to know who your neighbor is. You may have somebody living next door to you and you say, I don't have a clue who they are or what their names are. And that may be one of the first steps for you is getting to know the people in your neighbor, in your neighborhood. You may not have met them. And for us, that was one of the first steps for us in Bartlett was getting to know the people that we were surrounded with. And we had a couple of funny situations. You know, we had a neighbor, uh, we lived on a corner lot. And so we had a neighbor on either side, but we had felt like we had four or five neighbors across the street from us and got to know all of them fairly well. But there was one couple next to us who used to always crack us up. And I won't give you, I won't tell you the names. The names will be changed to protect the innocent. And, uh, but we'll call them, uh, Bob and Sarah. And, uh, they, they were retired. And all the com, a lot of the conversations that I would have with Bob were always comical because I couldn't, rarely could I understand what he was saying. I mean, he would, he would just kind of, like this, and he had kind of a lisp. And one day we were having this conversation and Kim said, I cannot believe that the way you responded to him. And I said, Kim, I didn't have a clue what he said. And, and, and she said, well, what he said was that, uh, he just retired and you're going to be seeing more of him. I said, well, I'm glad you understood what he said. I didn't have a clue. And one night we came home from a date and, uh, there were squad cars in front of, in front of Bob and Sarah's house. And we were really concerned because they were older and we would kind of keep, keep an eye on them. And so, uh, we went over there and he came out and he was laughing. I said, I said, what happened? He said, you'll never believe this. We've been gone for a couple of days. And uh, about five or six squirrels came in through our chimney into the house. And when we got home tonight, as soon as we opened the door, the house was torn up. And we were afraid that somebody had broken in, so we called the cops. And and that's what had happened in their house. And so this was some of the first couple of examples that we had in just meeting our neighbors. But what followed from that was an opportunity to pray with those folks and allow the different neighbors uh, to pray for their needs. We had... Uh, an, another next door neighbor who, who thought he had cancer and we had, the, I had the opportunity to pray with him and share with him the love of Christ. There's, there's so many different opportunities that all of us have. I'll share with you one more example of my wife, Kim, because Kim is a whole lot better at this than I am. She knows everybody on our block, just about. She knows all the kids' names. And so I'm trying to catch up with her, but this happened a couple months ago. She was, uh, on the front door with another, with two other ladies in our neighborhood, a couple doors down. And she had a little Ziploc bag of Cheez-Its, all right? And the white cheddar kind, those are the best, all right? The white cheddar Cheez-Its, those are the best. And she was eating Cheez-Its while she was talking to him. And then, then she said, would you like some Cheez-Its? And both of the girls there said, 
thought that she was saying, do you want Jesus? And they kind of looked at her like, like this, and, and Kim was like, what did I say? And one of the girls said, well, I've already got Jesus. She said, no, I was talking about, would you like some Cheez-Its? <laughs> oh, okay. And then the other girl said, well, what would you have told us if we said yes? We do want to know Jesus. And, and she said, well, I would have explained to you the gospel and the power of God and, and that he wants to save you. And so right there, God using a funny little goofy circumstance the Lord gave my wife an opportunity just to, to share the love of Christ right at somebody else's door. You, know, you never know what's going to happen when you start getting to know your neighbors and when you start giving God a chance to use you in your own neighborhood. So just keep that in mind over the next couple weeks and pray about that. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to look at this message. And the first point on here is there is a message for these seven churches, but don't miss this. There is a message for our church. You know, just because Jesus is writing these letters to these seven churches, don't think that this does not have anything to do with us because it does. It has everything to do with Christ Church Arlington and who we are. So let's just start out in chapter one of Revelation as we look at this. It says, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. John sees a tremendous amount that God reveals to him. And he writes this entire book about these things that he saw. The interesting thing is, is he's going to see something incredible in chapter one that we're going to talk about, and it's Jesus Christ. Verse, two, verse three says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. I want you to hold on to verse 3. It is extremely powerful in the, in the entire book of Revelation, and particularly in the first three chapters, this phrase of reading, hearing, and heeding is very vital. Hold on to that. We'll get back to that in a moment. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne. It seems like so far what John is explaining to us is a whole lot about the nature and character of Jesus Christ. Before we get into this message to the seven churches and ask how does this apply to us, the first thing is, is John says the most important thing I want to tell you right now is about Jesus Christ and who he is, how awesome and incredible Jesus is because when you really get to know who he is, it sets you afire. It sets you aflame. It makes you want to worship Jesus. It makes you want to serve him and serve his purpose. Verse 5, and it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us, from our sins by his blood. This awesome thing. Jesus being the firstborn of the dead. What's that talking about? Talking about that Jesus resurrected from the dead and he received a glorified body. And he was the first person that that ever happened to. You think about it. Well, what happened to Lazarus? Lazarus was just resuscitated. Poor Lazarus had to die again. How would you like that? Had to die twice. You think about when Lazarus was brought back from the dead and he was in paradise and all of a sudden he has to come back to this earth. And, and then he has to die again, but he was used for the glory of God. And look at the last portion of that verse. It says, to him who loved us, who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. That's the most incredible statement we could think of regarding a Jesus and what he's done for us 
And I just want to mention this, that regardless of what you take from this today about joining a neighborhood group, the bottom line would be this. You may be thinking, I don't know what a neighborhood group is. I don't even know who Jesus is. I hope that you don't forget this last statement in this verse, that Jesus loves us, he loves you, and wants to release you from your sins. I don't want you to leave this room today not understanding that and being able to embrace that. The Bible says that as sinners, that we're enslaved to our sin, and it takes us wherever it wants to take us. It tempts us, it ruins our lives, but God's desire is to release us from that. And on that cross, that's what Jesus did. He paid the price to release you from your sins. Maybe that's the thing that you need to leave today, understanding, is embracing Jesus Christ and the fact that he loves you. I hope that you don't miss out on that. Let's keep reading, and let's see what else John has to say for us. In verse 7, or excuse me, verse 6, it says, He has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. And look at verse 8. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and is to come. The Almighty, the fact that Jesus Christ is eternal, and the fact that he has always existed in eternity past, he will always exist in eternity future, and he is the Almighty but in the midst of that, what does he want to do? He wants to use us for his glory. He doesn't need us. He doesn't have to have us. But God has a plan. He has a purpose. And that purpose is to include each and every one of us. For whatever it is that his purpose is, the Bible says that when we latch a hold of that, when we get a hold of that and realize that God loves me, he cares about me, he has a purpose for me individually as a Christian and for my church, and the power that we have as a church is the power of Almighty God, that God can accomplish through us whatever it is He wants to accomplish. So that removes all of our excuses about, well, I, I, God can't use me in the church. You know, what can I do? I'm not important enough. I don't have uh, these type of credentials or I don't have this type of experience. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is we serve an Almighty God and He can use any one of us to accomplish His will and He can use us as a church to accomplish His will. And that's what we're about to get into as we look at this. Let's keep on reading. We'll read through verse 11. Look at verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. I don't know about you, but trumpets are not soft. They're loud. And if somebody got behind you and blew a trumpet, it would startle you. And that's exactly what happens. In verse 11, it says, saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamon, Thyatira, and to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Hey, they're all down south of us in Mississippi, aren't they? Just right around the corner, some of these. Hey, I can get into this. I've been fishing at Sardis before, so I know all about that. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at these seven different letters to these churches and what Jesus has to say to each and every one of them and how probably there's something in each one of the letters that can apply to our church right here at Christ Church Arlington. I want you to look back at verse 3. I want to mention something that I brought up a few, a few moments ago that's very important. Verse 3 says there's a blessing. There is a blessing. We don't want to miss that. Blessed is he who, number one, reads 
and those who, number two, hear the words of the prophecy, and number three, and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. I don't want you to miss that. There is a message for our church. There's a message for all churches in the midst of this, and it is to, number one, to read, number two, to hear, number three, to heed or to be heeded, or you could say to be or to obey, to obey God. The whole process of us understanding Bible study and doing Bible study is that I read the Bible, and then so it goes into my mind, but I don't just leave it in my mind. I let it sink into my heart, and I ponder it. I pray about it. You know, Jesus said, he made a statement in Luke. He said, let these words that I'm saying to you sink into your ears. Let it sift down in your body, ponder it. And then the last part of Bible study is action. It's obedience. It's the fact that, okay, I've heard everything that God has to say to me. Now, what am I going to do? God, what do you want me to do? What type of action do you want me to take? Who do you want me to share your word with? Who do you want me to serve? How do, what do you want me to do? And that's a very big part of what we're going to hear over the next couple of weeks with Jesus' letter to these seven churches. And it's really interesting because it's almost as if it's assessment time in the church. And Jesus is showing up, and guess what? He's the inspector. He's showing up to assess our church. You know, how many of you do a yearly evaluation where you are evaluated by your boss? Anybody have that? where once a year you are assessed to, to look at your performance and then you're graded based on that. Or how many of you work in the construction industry and eventually when you think you've got the job done, who shows up to approve it? The inspector. Do you like that guy? Most of the times you don't. You have an inspector that shows up to inspect your work, to evaluate your work. And what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is Jesus is assessing these seven churches and he says a lot of great things to them, but he also has a lot of very difficult words to, to say to them. On some, of, some occasions, he's telling them they need to repent as a church. Another church, he tells them, you are putting up with false teaching and you need to stop. There's another church that it, it almost appears like they need to get saved. And then in one occasion, he says, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand. In other words, you will cease to be a church. Jesus saying a lot of difficult things. And you know, as, as we read this, there may be some difficult things for we individually that we may have to assess our own lives. We may have to, to say, you know what? I think what God is telling me is he wants me to serve. He wants me to be a part of this. He wants me to go to work and to be busy about what God wants me to do in the midst of my church. And I promise you, you know, I was looking through these, these uh, verses over the last couple of weeks and it reminded me of something. I remember growing up as a teenager, and y'all have probably heard me mention this before, and if, if you're old, look back to the time when you were a teenager, and remember how you responded to mom and dad's discipline. And I remember being 15, 16 years old, and my mentality of my dad was this. I knew that my dad loved me, but I, I looked at him as a slave driver because he would work me like crazy nonstop. I'd get something done, it'd be, there would always be something else that he wanted me to do. And so one day I had just finished cutting the grass. Now, where I grew up, we had two acres, so it took several hours to get everything done. And I was hot, I was sweaty, I was dog tired, and I was walking in, and out comes my dad. And I know what he's about to do. I can see it coming. He's about to assess my grass cutting job. And it didn't matter how good I've done, he's going to find something wrong with it. And so, and, and at this point, I'm, I'm just sick and tired of it. I don't care. And so, he, I walk right past him and he said, son, and I'm like, oh boy, here it goes. You missed an area right over there, you know, and you need to go back and do it. And I said, dad, it looks 
find the way it is. Big mistake. He turned around and turned into Darth Vader on me. You don't know the power of the dark side. But he said, what did you say? And I just, I crumbled. I, I, nothing, Dad. I'll go do it. No problem. I'll get it all taken care of. But I was frustrated. A few weeks later, I vented to my mom. I said, Mom, I said, I said, you can't please that man. He is so hard on me. I'm sick and tired of it. No matter what I do, I can't work hard enough for him. And my mom said this, and it changed the perspective on my dad forever. My mom said this, John, your dad loves you. Your dad wants the best for you, and he has to push you to get the best out of you, but he only wants your best. And then when she told me that, it was like, as a teenager, all of a sudden, I woke up. Kids, listen to that, okay? <laughs> Understand that your mom and dad want what's best for you. They're going to push you sometimes to get the best out of you, but it doesn't mean they don't love you. And you know what? Our Heavenly Father is the same way. Just because He is a God of grace and mercy and He loves it, loves us, does that mean that He's not going to push us at times to get the best out of us? He will do that. And you're going to see that in the midst of these letters, that He's going to speak the truth in love. He's going to push us to get the best out of Christ Church Arlington that we possibly can be. And keep that in mind as you look at this. It's so important to be read, to be heard, and to be heeded in this. Look at verse 12, and we'll keep reading. Now remember, John has just heard this voice. It's loud. It's like a trumpet behind him. It probably startled him. Later on, we're going to see he falls over like a dead man. He's just, he's terrified. But in verse 12, it says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now on your uh, screen and on your outline, you see something that is a seven, that is seven golden lampstands. If you are a Jewish person, we'll get Jewish today, all right? If you're a Jewish person, you would immediately recognize this. It's what is commonly called the menorah. Sometimes you'll see them with nine lampstands. But in the Old Testament, commonly these were seven. You can go back to the Old Testament, you can check it out. And so when John turns around, the first thing that catches his attention is this golden lampstand. Now understand this, that this one does not have candles on it. The light is not there. It is merely just the lampstand. These things were anywhere from four to six foot tall. They were made out of gold. And if you were a priest, as soon as you entered the temple, these things were lined up. I've seen a replica of one of these things. They're beautiful. I saw one in Jerusalem. They sit about this tall. They're enormous. And when you put these candles in these things, they put off an enormous amount of light. So for a Jew reading this, John turns around, he sees seven lampstands. It would be recognizable to him. That's the first thing that he sees. Now keep in mind, he is seeing a vision. And for some reason, before God gets into all this message to the seven churches, he wants John to see Jesus in a very unique way. He wants to get John's attention. Number two in your outline is Jesus is like a lamp. That's not new to us. We know Jesus is the light of the world. He even calls us the light of the world. And that one of John's favorite descriptions of Jesus in his gospel is to compare Jesus to light. And that's one of the first things that you're going to see as John sees Jesus. He sees light. But he sees these golden lampstands. Verse 13, it says, In the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Who do you think that is? It is our Lord Jesus Christ standing right in the midst of this lampstand. Right there with it. You might, you might be thinking, well, so what? Big deal. We're going to find out this is a huge deal. 
This image that John is given that he would have never forgotten. Wouldn't have been any problem for him to write this years later because he could not forget something like this. Verse 13, in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. And check this out. His eyes were like a flame of fire, bright. Why is John seeing Jesus in this way? Look at verse 15. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters. If you've ever stood next to a waterfall, the sound of many waters, waterfall is loud. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, the noise is unbelievable. And so Jesus was definitely trying to get John's attention. Not only with his voice, but what John was seeing was Jesus in all of his glory and he was bright like a lamp. The next part in your outline is God Jesus wants our attention. And man, you better believe he got John's attention right here in the midst of this. And that Jesus was just like a bright lamp. The other thing, why is Jesus like a light? Because he reveals our need of him. You know, the Bible compares life without Christ to, to living our life in darkness. And if you've ever been in a dark room, you understand immediately what I'm talking about. There, there's often, a lot of times I come into this room and all the lights are off and I can't see. And what's my first fear? That I'm going to run into that pole right back there where Chad is. And it's almost happened a couple of times. And nothing good ever happens in the dark when you don't know where you're going. You lose your sense of direction. You know, a number of years ago, way back, Randy and I went on a youth trip to Cumberland Caverns. And uh, we camped out in Cumberland Caverns that night. And, and I don't know how far down we were. We were a couple hundred feet down underground. And when they turned the lights off, you could not see your hand in front of your face. And you lost your sense of direction. I know that because Randy rolled over on me a couple of times. I said, get off of me, man. Get up. Stay on your spot. And But what happens when we become Christians? When we become Christians, all of a sudden there's light. And we see the direction that we need, and that's from Christ. And so God help us to go where we want to, where we need to go. And it reveals these things in our lives that, that Jesus wants changed. And then he changes them for us. And it's like the difference between light and darkness. And John is, is seeing Jesus in this very unique way. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. Now get the image here. There's these seven golden lampstands. Jesus standing right in the midst of them. Jesus is glowing like a bright light. Jesus has something in his right hand. It says, in his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the, sh the sun shining in its strength. Now, how about you, but the last time I, had to, I tried a staring contest with the sun, the sun won that. Jesus is shining so bright, John can't even look at him. And look what happens to him. Verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. The glory of God overwhelmed him so much he just falls down. And the poor guy is probably terrified. And we know that why, because look at what Jesus does. He laid his right hand upon me, saying, don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. In the midst of this, God in his power and his glory, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear in the Lord. He loves you. And you know, in the scripture, the right hand, and really in Middle Eastern culture, dating back for eons, the right hand represents the power and the authority of God. I won't tell you what the left hand represents. You do some research, you'll find out what that means. But the right hand represents the power and the authority of God. And where has that power and authority been placed? On John's right hand shoulder, telling him, 
I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to be afraid. I'm with you. John has no reason to be afraid. And you know, the, the key here for us is a lot of times we do fear. We have lots of fears in life. And the reality is, is Jesus is always with us. The Bible says that he's everywhere. He's omnipresent and he never leaves us alone. We're never alone. Sometimes we may feel alone. We may get those feelings, but the Bible says that God is always with us. In the midst of this, he's right there with John. And he's right here in our midst. I hope you don't miss this, that where was Jesus? He was right there in the midst of those seven golden lampstands. And the Bible says that he has seven stars in his right hand. We're going to find out exactly what that's going to mean. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 18. It says, I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and of Hades. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. We get so caught up in Revelation wanting to know the future. And I'm not saying that that's not important. Chapters 4 through 21 are very important. They're in the Word of God. But the thing that we miss is what's important in the here and now. And that's what these three chapters in Revelation are going to teach us, are going to reveal to us, is God has some things to say to our church. And here's an interesting question. God's written a, written a letter to these seven churches. What if Jesus wrote a letter to Christ Church Arlington? What do you think it would say? What do you think it would say? It's a very interesting question. I asked this question to my, my home group Bible study last Christmas. Got some very sobering answers. One of the answers was, hey, there's a lot of spectators at Christ Church, but not a whole lot of workers. And another person said, you know, we're a very rich church. We're, we're real, a lot of us are real well off. But, but, but do we give of everything that God has given us? There was a lot of real sobering, sobering answers. I put that question out to you. If Jesus wrote a letter to our church, what do you think he would say? Let's look at the last part of this just as we close. Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. I love this. In verse 20, the last verse of chapter 1, Jesus gives an answer to this mystery. What in the world do these seven lampstands have to do with the church? And what are those seven stars you got in your right hand? And Jesus tells him, he says, As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Isn't that interesting? There is an appointed angel for each of those seven churches. What do they do? We're not really told, but they're there. Because these seven churches are very important, very dear on God's heart. And he's given to those churches these different angels. More importantly, let's look a little bit further. Seven stars are the, are the angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so this lampstand that you see right here, which probably would have been something of what John would have seen, he sees these seven lampstands that represent what? The church. And then he sees Jesus and all of his glory being bright. In the picture, what would you do with these lampstands? You would put candles on top of them and then you would light them, and they would be bright. So the picture is we're not the light. Jesus is the light, but we carry the light wherever we go. These points on your outline, number one, we carry the light, and we have a choice. We're given a choice. We can share it or we can hide it. As you look over, and we're not going to do it right now because we're almost out of time. As you look over at Matthew chapter 5, Jesus uses another picture of a lampstand, and he says you are the light of the world. And he said when people light a lampstand, what do they do with it? Do they put a bushel basket over it? He said, no. They light it so that the light can be shared by everyone in the house. And so the picture is, is Jesus is that light. 
He is the Almighty. He's the one that saves people, but who are we? We are the ones that carry that light. It is a tremendous responsibility that God has given each and every one of us, not just here in this building, but wherever you go. You know, I'll give you an example of something. The other day, how many of you love Chick-fil-A? I love Chick-fil-A. The only thing I don't like about Chick-fil-A is they're closed on Sunday. You know, how many times have you ever left church? Hey, where are we going to go eat for lunch? Let's go to Chick-fil-A. Oh, man, it's closed, you know. Almost like a mean trick that they played on us, you know. But uh, I was at Chick-fil-A the other day, and I noticed how busy everybody was. I mean, everybody was doing something. There was even a guy out in the parking lot because the drive through lane was so backed up that there was a guy out in the parking lot taking people's orders. They were just rolling the window down. He was coming up right next to him. Everybody was busy. Everybody was being utilized for how what their skills were, what their gifts were. It's the same thing in our church, you guys, for each and every one of you. Some, for some of you, it may be the thing that God puts on your heart is this. I need to start serving. I got a phone call this past week. I got this phone call Friday. I'm going to just say this in, in closing, and then we're going we're gonna to pray as the worship band comes up and, and closes us up. I got, a, I got a phone call Friday, and it was a guy that goes to our church. I'm not going to mention his name, but he said, John, I've been really praying about this a whole lot. He said, I have found myself on the sideline. I found myself on the sideline for a long time, and it's time for me to start doing something. And so I want to serve. Will you please help me to find a place? And I'm telling you what, it was such an encouragement for me because he took that step and saying, hey, I want to be a part of this. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to find my ministry. I encourage you to pray about that. And so let's do this. I want you to stand for a moment, and uh, the worship band is going to come up and close us with a song. I want you to do something unique today. <clears throat> I want you to grab somebody's hand next to you. Don't be afraid to hold somebody's hand. Grab a hand or a shoulder as we pray together. Because, y'all, I really believe this. I'm convinced of this. And you've heard me and Randy say this so many times. This place, yeah, it's a building. Yeah, it's an address, 11900 Highway 70. But I hope and pray, and I know that you believe this, that we're more than just an address. We're more than just a building. We are a church family. And God loves us so much. He has stuck us here in Arlington for a purpose. Amen? God, and, and you know that song that we sang earlier, God is not done with this city. Am I right about that? He's not. And the key is not just programs uh, and things like that. It's you guys. It's y'all. And, 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 and I know Randy knows this, and, 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 and he believes this, and I do as well. Y'all, I am so proud. I'm so excited of what God is doing for us. And the next thing God wants us to do is to get active in our neighbor's lives. And so I pray that you just uh, be on your heart and pray about your role in the midst of this. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. God, we thank you that uh, you have a purpose for our lives. And so just in this closing hymn, Lord, just as we sing, Lord, that uh, we would soul search. And uh, Lord, that we would praise you and, uh, and maybe ask you, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Your scripture says that we are to read your word and that we're to hear your word and to allow it to penetrate our heart. But then beyond that, that final step is to obey, and that's to do something. Lord, that's exciting that you want to use us. And Lord, even beyond that this morning, there may be somebody here that, that's come in this morning really with a heavy burden that they're carrying. Maybe something has really hurt them. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, a financial situation. And God, we just want to lift those people up to you. And Lord, just in our closing moments, if there's anyone that needs prayer, Randy and myself will be up here. We just praise you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.